you know, as we um, pray together as a congregation, we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross and from the grave, of course. And, you know, in light of that, what God does in our life as he brings us into this personal relationship with him, you know, before all that Jesus did for us on the cross and from the grave, we could not have direct access to him, but that's changed. And that's changed in, the, in light of the fact that we can pray, we can talk to him, we can interact with him. We have this personal relationship with him. You know, a lot of religions, in fact, all religions have rituals, have things that you do in order to somehow obtain the favor of the God in which they worship and serve, but not us. Because the fact of the matter is what God has done for us, he has declared us righteous. So we get to have a relationship with him. We have a personal relationship. We're not some, uh, in some kind of ritual um, relationship of which God is way off and we're way away from him. We have this intimate relationship with our God. And that only comes by way of Jesus Christ. This morning, I just want us to pray and spend some time together with him. Um, and so if you want to come forward, you can now, but, uh, but I'm going to pray and lead us in a time of uh, talking to him about important matters uh, to him, important matters to us. Let's pray. God, as we come to you this morning, thank you just once again for the table. Thank you for the, the symbolism of which we take the Lord's table together, your table together. Jesus, when you entered into that room and those men were around that table and they were young men, um, very young, uh, some of which had been successful, some of which had been very despised in the community, in the communities in which they worked in. But what they all had in common is what we have in common and that we're all sinners. We're all broken people. We've all fallen short of your glory. We've all fallen short of what you've expected out of our lives, the expectation that you have for us, and that's that standard of perfection, that standard of righteousness. Lord, you never lower your standards. You never, ever look away and turn away from sin and just dismiss it. But Lord, instead, knowing we could not deal with it on our own and could not take it away from us on our own, you took the cross on our behalf. You died the death that we deserve, God. You went to the cross for us. You suffered in our place. You bled for us. God, your body was broken for us. Jesus, you went to the cross. You taught us how to love one another. You taught us how to serve one another. You taught us how to give our lives away to, in order to gain life. And the life that we gain is not something that we find in ourselves. It's not something we find in our humanitarian work even, God. We're in our philanthropy. Lord, the, the, the life that you give us and the life that you promise us comes only by way of giving our lives over to you. And Jesus, you're the source of our life. So thank you this morning for your resurrection. Thank you not only for your death and your burial, but for your resurrection because it gives us reason to sing. And you give us reason to hope and you give us reason to have that living hope that we have this morning. That Lord, we are... Uh, recipients of this abundant life you promise us on our way to an eternal life that, Lord, cannot be found here on earth. God, thank you for that truth this morning. We rest in that hope. We rest in that peace. We rest in that joy this morning, God. Lord, as we come to you, we come to you as sinners. God, we confess to you the things in our hearts that haven't been pleasing to you. Things, God, that we've done, attitudes in which we've embraced things that we've said, God, we 
pray that, God, we would turn those things over to you now. And, Lord, we know that you will forgive us because you've promised your forgiveness if we come to you and confess and repent of our sins. Lord, we live in light of that forgiveness. We live in light of that redemption. And that's the reason we're here. You've given us boldness to come to you about important matters that that are important to you, but also that are important to us. We pray this morning, God, for our church. We pray that you would anoint our church this morning, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would manifest your presence and your power among us today, that you would move with power in our service. You would move with power in our singing. You would move with power in our praying. You would move with power in the, the, the understanding and response to your word. God, we believe that you are here with us. And we pray these things towards you. But God, we also pray the things that are important to us. There are burdens on our hearts this morning, God, that no one knows about. There are names of people in our hearts and in our families and in our individual lives, God, that no one knows about, that we continue to cry out to you about. People, Lord, in our families that have addictions. People in our families who haven't embraced Jesus as Savior and Lord yet. People in our families, God, who are, are facing incredible disease or suffering and pain in their life right now, God, that's burdened us. And God, we carry that burden around with us, but we lay them at your feet. We lay these names at your feet this morning. God, we're also praying for wisdom because we need wisdom to navigate and to walk through this world because it is complicated. It is sometimes hard to, to live this life, Lord, because we continue to fail you, and yet at the same time, we don't want to walk around with guilt. We want to continue to walk around with victory in our lives, but we fail you. So we're praying this morning, God, for breakthrough in our lives, God, for particular areas of sin, struggles that we're struggling with right now. Oh, Lord, that you'd step into our life, that you'd give us the courage to say no to it. You would give us the confidence to walk faithfully for you, that we would live righteous lives that you promised that we can live by the power of your son, Jesus, who lives inside of us. God, we pray these things towards you. Lord, we lift up our church once again to you and just pray that, Lord, you would bless us now, that your word would change our hearts and in our lives. Your word would change our church and our congregation. Your word would change us, our couples, our married couples, us as singles, Lord, those of us in this room that are teenagers and children, Lord, that your word would, would marinate, it would wash over us, and it would change us and transform us into the men and women, the young people that you called us to be. So, Lord, would you change us? Would you transform us? into the people you want us to become because we know you can and you will. And so we approach you with obedience. We approach you with a willing heart. Move with power upon us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning once again. Hey, listen, I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Ephesians. Book of Ephesians. While you're turning there, I hope that though for those of you who could come Wednesday night, you, were, you, you, you experienced a blessing. It was a great, great Wednesday night together. We had a great time of praying and singing in this room. And uh, I just want to thank those of, those of you who put all of that together, our band, our worship team, everybody, the creativity of it all. But the stage looked completely different if you weren't here Wednesday night, then you don't really have a perspective on it. Um, but we did some uh, creative wor- uh, worship night, but also prayer night. We sought the face of God. We need more of that here at Central. We need more of that in our local churches, not just our church, but across our country. Um, and seeking the face of God to move in our homes, to move in our church, to move in our community. And we really focused Wednesday night 
really focusing on Livingston, really focusing on Polk County, really focusing on Central Baptist Church. Because in order for us to pray towards this community and for this community to be transformed by the gospel of Jesus, we have to be transformed. We have to have the light. We have to, to, to have the, the, the power that God has already given us manifested among us through his Holy Spirit and the, the power of Jesus Christ moving in us and through us. And so, as a church, we need more of that. So, thank you. Um, and we had a great time of worship, of singing, <clears throat> excuse me, and then also praying and taking time in some creative ways to pray and read scripture together. And so, it was a fun night. And uh, we'll do some similar things like that down the road in the future as we continue to, uh, to, to seek the face of God. Um, this morning, we're in Ephesians chapter 2. And the reason we are in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning is we're in a short series here in the month of August called Church Talks. We're having conversations, what God wants to say to us relating to his church, who we are, where we're going. And these are important conversations. These are important passages of scripture that relate to the church. This passage here, we talk about in our new members class or in our membership class. For those of you who are staying for that today, then you'll hear a little bit of this. I won't go into detail like I do normally in class, but at the 11 o'clock hour, because we're gonna have our next membership class right today at 11 o'clock, right through those doorway, that doorway. And so this morning, we're gonna look at Ephesians chapter two, verse 11 through through 22. We're talking about who we are as a church, where we are going. Um, if you grew up in the church, raise your hand. If you grew up in church, raise your hand. If you did not grow up in church, raise your hand. Yeah, we've got some hands around the room, right? Here's the thing about this. When you grow up in church, what happens in your church experience, church life, is you typically, like me, have experiences. Those experiences sometimes are positive. Sometimes those experiences are negative. I've got both. Anybody been a part of negative church experiences, like really bad things happened in churches? Yeah, me too. Uh, how many had really positive things happening in your churches you've grown up in? I hope all of you raise your hand, <laughs> otherwise why are we here, right? The fact of the matter is, in church life, our positive experiences or our negative experiences tend to shape our understanding and our view and our practice of church life and how we think about the church. For example, I think for some people, what church has been kind of reduced to, if you will, is just listening to a sermon and going home. Listening to a sermon and going home. Maybe you can just, tie, you know, just, just, just log in and hear a sermon online and that's like good for you. For some, that's what church is. As long as I can get the sermon and I get out. I was reading a, a, a study recently. It came out this year, in March of this year actually, that did a study and was Lifeway Research and they did a study in March of 2020 and then they did the exact same study in March of 2023. Here's one of the questions they asked. One of the questions that they talked about or they posed before people who they asked this question to was, um, have you replaced worship, the actual physical time of being together on a Sunday morning with, say, worshiping as a family at home? You know what, in March of 2020, it was about 58% believed that, listen, you know, you can worship independently, you can worship with your family in your own living room, and that takes the place. It's a valid replacement to actually physically coming to and being a part of a local church. 58% said that in March of 2020. It's raised now to 66% in March of 2023. There is a trend happening here. 
of people believing that there is some sort of an independent nature to walking with Jesus within your life, that it's okay, that, it, that being in your living room or being in your truck or what have you is a replacement to actually physically being a part of a local church, say on a Sunday morning. And so maybe that's what church has been reduced to, and that is maybe just popping in and hearing a sermon once in a while and going home. Maybe for you it's more than that. It's a place where you just get your kids baptized, or you just go and get your kids and make sure that your kid is doing okay. As long as your kid is doing okay, you're okay. Maybe it is just a place that you get good food. Can I get an amen? Because I grew up in churches where you got good food. They were the best cooks in the community. I mean, I grew up in small local churches and country churches my dad pastored, and I remember great cooks in those churches, right? That's the perception you have of a local church. There's all kinds of different perspectives and kind of perceptions, if you will, of local churches. Here's the question, though. Why is the local church important to you? Why should it be important to you? I mean, that's a question I would, I would be wrestling with if I was a teenager. Why should I build my life around the local church? Why is it important to invest my life in? Why is it important, important to give my life for? Why is it important to, to invest my life and my time and my money and my resources? Why is it investing my time and my resources in the local church? Why does that matter? But it's not just investing that all of that matter. Why is the church, the local church, important to me? Why is it a big deal, and why is, the big, why is the church a big deal, and why is it should be a big deal to me? Now, here's the thing. The Apostle Paul writes this letter to a church. He's not writing to a bunch of independent people all walking around Ephesus and say we're Christians. He's talking to and he's writing to a congregation of people who had covenanted themselves together in some sort of commitment. We call it church membership. But they covenanted themselves together because when he's writing to them, He's writing to them about important things. I say in our membership class that why should you join a church? Why should membership matter? Because Jesus Christ expects it, and the New Testament just assumes it. You can't do the one another's unless you're a part of a local church. You can't fulfill what the New Testament tells you, what Jesus Christ wants you to do, and how he wants you to live your life apart from being committed to a local church. You just can't do it. You can try to do it, but you're actually doing something that has been written to a community of people, not individual Christians. And that's what's interesting and remarkable. So when Paul is writing this to this church in Ephesus, oh, he's writing to them in light of all that Jesus Christ has done. He's been explaining this. He's describing to them who they are and what Jesus Christ did for them. We just went to the table, and we just remembered what Jesus Christ did for, them, for us but I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. We're not gonna, you're not going to see that on the screens, but just look in your Bibles. You see, what Paul reminded the church in Ephesus about were three things. It says in verse 1, And when you were dead in the trespasses of your sins, he reminded them that once they were dead. And then we jump down to verse 4, chapter 2. He says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, not only were they dead, but they'd been made alive through Jesus Christ. But then jump down to verse 10. He says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. They were not only dead, but they had been made alive. And then now that they have this life, guess what? They don't just sit back in their lazy boy drinking their cup of tea. They get busy because in verse 10, what does it say? For we are what? His workmanship created in Christ Jesus, what? For good works. 
right? Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He gives us purpose. Paul was reminding the church in Ephesus that God gives, gives you purpose. He gives you meaning. He gives you a direction to go in your life. He gives you something to invest in, something to do, something to pour your life into and to, to uh, surround your life with, to center your life upon. And when Paul says all of that, it's a launching point to the text we're going to look at today, verses 11 through 22 in a moment. But it's a launching point to what Paul is going to say. This is what God says to us, that the church, listen, the church is where life change happens. The church is where you see the power of God on display. The church is where the gospel not only transforms Christians and continuing, continually transforms us, but it is how God then pours his gospel into a community, how God pours his gospel into a school district, how God pours his gospel into small businesses, how God pours his gospel into communities of vacation communities that you might live in and interact with and when you interact with lost people. Oh, this is how God works. He works within his church. And this is where life change happens. The work of Jesus Christ has moved us. It's moved us from being independent to something bigger than what our once independence would not allow us to have. Because in Jesus Christ and through Christ, we live now as part of a family. Check out the metaphors that the New Testament is going to show us. We're a family. We're a building. He's not done yet. He calls us a body. He calls us a temple. He calls us a fellowship. He calls us a community. There is something significant, something unique about the local church that you can't get anywhere else in the community. You will never, ever get in this world. There's nothing like the local church. Because that is where life change happens. It is where we are living, we are changing, we are being transformed, we are growing, we are becoming different people, we are seeing the good news of Jesus Christ, the word of God continue to be worked out in our lives. Where the Lord does his work, it leads to direction, it leads to meaning, it leads to purpose. So, I want to show you this morning what Paul says to them. And I want to show you three reasons why the local church should be important to you in your life. You ready for the first one? Well, it comes out of verses 11 and 12. We're going to look at that in just a moment. But here's the first reason. The first reason is this. It once did not exist. It was almost, it was impossible. What we're doing this morning, what's happening and what happens in a local church was impossible apart from Jesus. Because there was once this divide between God and and man, look at verse 11 and 12. This is what Paul says. In light of what he just told him, what we just read, this is what he says. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by the hands. Oh, look at verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's a lot of bad news, isn't it? You see, what Paul reminded the church of, this church of, full of Gentiles, full of non-Jews, full of pagan people who had come out of worshiping all kinds of weird false gods, bowing down to statues and stone tablets, all kinds of different things they were worshiping. Coming out of that lifestyle, now entering into this community called the local church that they knew nothing about. They had no traditions. There were no traditions. They did not grow up in churches. And so they're now together. All they've known is pagan lifestyle. And they also know what the Jews worship. They worship this God of the Old Testament. 
And what Paul reminds them of is this. You were once alienated. In fact, he goes on and he points out, he reminds them of their position. They were once, quote, uncircumcised. They were people that were not of God. They were people that were not marked by that promise or by that mark of following God. There were these two distinct groups, they're Jews and Gentiles. But they lacked five privileges. Do you notice that? Paul lays out the five privileges right there. They were separated. They weren't just separated, they were also alienated. Look at verse 12. They were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. They were cut off. But he's not done yet. He says, having what? No hope. That's the third kind of privilege that they were cut off from. They had no hope. They were foreigners. They were strangers. You see that? But not only that, but they were without God in the world. Literally, it says apart from God. They had no relationship with God. They, they had no understanding of how to have a personal relationship with God. They didn't have the Bible in front of them. They didn't have the Old Testament law in front of them. They, they didn't have anything. They were completely blind and living life meaningless, trying to raise families, trying to make money, trying to worship something because you know what? That's how God made all of us to worship something. We were meant to worship him. And when we don't worship him, we worship stuff. We worship ourselves. We worship trees. And we bow down to all kinds of weird, crazy things, don't we? Just look around the world today. Look around our country today. We worship power. We hunger and we thirst for position and power and prestige. We, we seek that stuff out, but that's not what brings value to our lives. Listen, we were cut off. And what Paul reminds the Ephesians is this. You were once, you had none of that. You had none of it. God changed things, didn't he? That's a pretty desperate situation. It's a situation where there's no hope, there's no meaning, there's no purpose, there's no direction. They were not the people of God. They had no identity. Listen, they had no identity. You see, the Israelites had an identity. They were the people of God. Everybody else had no identity. They're just living life on their own for themselves. Meaningless lives. Chasing after wind. They had no identity, Paul says to them. Well, contrast that to what Paul says to the Jews way back in Romans chapter 9, verse 4 and 5. Listen to these words. He's writing to Jews. He says, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, and giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from the, their race, according to the, the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Oh, but Paul, is, he's writing here to the Ephesians in this passage. He's reminding them they had none of that. They had no Savior they were waiting for. They had no Messiah that they were longing for, that their ancestors had prayed for, that they, that they longed to have that would take away their sin. They had none of that. They were completely cut off. They had no identity. A few years ago, many years ago, rather, I was in college. Between my junior and my senior year, I had the chance to go on my very first international mission trip, so I went to Russia. It was in the 90s, and so it wasn't very long, just a few years after the communism had fallen into that country. And so the country itself was very much Soviet, if you will. And those of you who remember the Soviet Union, you know what I'm talking about. It was very Soviet acting. 
And I remember going there with a group of about 20 other people, and we split up into teams of about four and five, and we spread out across the country. We met and flew to Moscow. We were there for just a couple days, and then we flew or we drove or we took trains to different parts of the country, and we ministered among Christians and non-Christians that were there. And the team that I was a part of went about eight or nine hours north of Moscow, and I found myself in this small town worshiping at a church with a pastor who pastored that church who had been imprisoned for several years, whose father, grandfather, and great-grandfather had been imprisoned by the Soviet Union for preaching Jesus. Who am I? I'm this snot-nosed college kid who knows nothing, trying to talk to this guy and help this guy out. But he took us during that week and a half, two weeks we were there, took us to an orphanage that was there. It was the summertime, so it was very hot in Russia, not as hot as Texas, but it was hot. And we were there in this orphanage, and we, I, I'll never forget it. It completely marked my life forever. I was a young college student, had never been any part, anywhere in the world, and, and here we were driving into this orphanage, and these, people, these children are all around us, and there were children there from the age of about five or six all the way to 18 years old, 2,000 of them at a camp, 13 adults there to watch them, 13 adults and 2,000 students or children. And I was blown away by it because they were blown away by us. They welcomed us in and they were all over us and I've got these pictures still to this day. And, but what was remarkable to me, it was the first time I'd really spent time among orphans, real orphans who had no family, no mom and dad, no, nothing. And what they had done in Russia during the summers is they would take the smaller orphanages all over that region and they would all put them together in one camp for the summer. And their adults would take a break. The teenagers would take care of the younger children. It's amazing and remarkable to me as I think about that is that here, these orphans, they had no family, they had no hope, they had no benefits, they had no blessings. And when I think about those children who became teenagers, who are now adults, if they're still alive or not in prison, is that that is what it's like apart from Jesus Christ, church. We have no identity. We're living life on our own. We're trying to live our life to, to better our life, to try to figure out life on our own, but we cannot live on our alone. But through Jesus Christ and the relationship you can have and I can have in him, I have this position that he has given me. I have this identity that he has given me, this change that he has given me in my life. I think back at Ephesians chapter 2, the passage we just looked at a moment ago. Look back at verse 1 again. Verses 1, 2, and 3. Look at this passage again. It says this. And Paul says, and you were dead in the trespasses in your sins in which you once walked. Listen to the past tense. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, the little s spirit, that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we are all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Does that sound like America to you? Does that sound like what you see in social media to you, young people? Does that sound like what you see on YouTube? Does that sound like what you see in, in our world today? Does that sound like not just America, but all over the world? Because it is. It's the same world that they were living in then. Cut off, alienated, no hope, 
blindly trying to live life, blindly trying to run after money, trying to run after power, trying to run after prestige. It did not exist, this relationship that we have with him. I'm one that believes that we appreciate something when you don't have it. You ever appreciate something when you lose it? But when you gain, and you and I gain this identity that we have in Christ, when we gain the local church, when we gain this understanding, this being brought into the body, quote-unquote, the body of Christ, when we are brought into the household of God, when God does this work in us, then I look back and I look around and I think to myself, I cannot imagine living in that world ever again. Can you imagine going through cancer without the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord? Can, can, can you imagine going through the loss of a child, those of you who are parents, loss, losing a child without the Lord Jesus Christ in your life? Can, can you imagine losing something that means important, something important to you, going through a very difficult season in your life without the local church of people of God who are pouring into you, encouraging you, and leading you along and saying, get your eyes on Jesus. I don't understand why this is going on, but get your eyes on Christ. Keep walking. Stay faithful. God is faithful. There is hope in him. Can you imagine that no but why is the local church important to us because what jesus christ has done impacts our life and takes us from being independent cut off without god with no hope foreigners and strangers alienated separated from god it once did not exist and now it does and so it's important to you in your life paul's not done because you see what he says is not only did it not exist, there was a separation between God and man. But what God did is he sent his son Jesus into the world and he suffered for the local church. Why is Jesus Christ, the church, so important and should be important to you in your life? Why should you center your life around it? Why should you make your decisions in light of how it affects other brothers and sisters in Christ? How it affects who you are and how you live your life, the local church? Why is it so important? Because Jesus suffered for it. Oh, look at the text with me again this morning. Verse 13. But now, I love those two words. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus or Christ. For by him, or for he himself is our peace, who has, been, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself, check this out, one new man in place of the two, so making peace, he's not done, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. He's not done. Look at verse 17. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Jesus Christ suffered for it. And what we remember is not only did it not exist, but why the church is so important to you and I in our lives is that he suffered for it. And he brings peace. It's where life change happens. What Jesus Christ did on the cross impacts our everyday life. It impacts our weekly life. It impacts our life on Sunday. It impacts our life on Monday. It, it does everything. It changes us. Love that, that passage. But now, those two verses, or two words, they're in verse 13. The cross breaks down this barrier. The barrier that existed between the Jew and the Gentile. The, the barrier, how does he do this? Well, he himself is our peace. I have heard people say, well, Jesus is a peacemaker. He's the one who, you know, he takes both sides and he brings us all together. No, he is the peace. 
He is the peace between God and me, God and you. He is the one who steps in and brings peace. He's not some peacemaker. He's not some counselor that steps in and says, well, let's take the good from both sides and let's bring y'all together and make you one. No, it's Jesus himself is the peace. That's what Paul is saying here. He, he, he didn't look at the Gentiles and you know, look at how they lived their life and said, well, I can, I can live with that and get you about 90% of that and bring you all over. I, I can look at the Jews and I can see about 90%. No, he is doing something new here to himself. So he takes the two groups and he brings them together. He is our peace through his blood, his blood and his body that was shed on the cross and broken on the cross. Through him and in him, every barrier is torn down. Every barrier is torn down. I think about the temple itself in Jerusalem at the height of this. There was a space or a place where the Gentiles came, but they could not go past a certain level. They couldn't go past a certain place. Jesus Christ takes down the walls of separation. He takes takes them down physically. He takes them down spiritually. He takes them down legally. He takes them all down. He tears down what? The wall of hostility. That's what Paul says, word for word. This wall of hostility, not between Jews and Gentiles, the fighting that goes on between Jews and Gentiles, maybe. No, the fighting that goes on between and the spiritual battle that goes on between us and God. We are the ones who are hostile towards a God who loves us and who is perfect in every way, and yet we are the ones who continue to sin. God rips down that wall of hostility. Two things begin to happen. Look at verse 15 again with me. He says, so that in Christ, he would create a new people or a new man. Everything is fulfilled. By abolishing the law and the commandments, the ordinances, he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. But he's not done. There's a second thing that he does. Look at verse 16. And he, he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, and then he kills the hostility. The church was birthed through the cross. The local church, what we're doing on a Sunday morning was birthed because of what happened that night and just a few hours after that table was taken. God does this. Jesus does this. The church didn't have a pretty beginning, y'all. It wasn't steeples and beautiful carpet and air conditioning. It was the ugliness of an instrument of torture in Jerusalem. That's how the church starts. It was a war. It was a spiritual battle. That's why Satan goes to war against Jesus himself, tempting him, attacking him at every level, because it was a spiritual war that led to our identity, to us having the ability to stand and understand that we are different people. It took a war to get us to where we are right now this morning. It took a war to get us to a place to where we can gather together and love him and serve one another and love each other. That's the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God being perfect, holy, no sin in him whatsoever, 
And yet at the same time, you and I being broken and sinners and cut off from God because sin cannot be in the presence of a holy God. So God sends his answer, his rescue plan, and that is his own son, Jesus, who was perfect in every way because the Bible required a death sacrifice, a sacrifice for sin. On the cross, Jesus went to the cross so that you and I, if I surrender to him, if I give my life to him, if I turn over my heart to him, all of that is applied to me. And therefore, then I become part of what God wants for me in my life. Through his suffering, he creates something new, something that is beautiful in every way. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says this, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I'm glad that's the truth. You see, your primary identity is not found in what state you're a part of. Your identity is not found in what country you're a part of. Your primary identity as a Christian is found in what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross and from the grave. That's who you are. That's who I am. God has changed me. He's transformed me. And my identity trumps everything else in my life. It trumps me as a husband, a father. It trumps me as a son. It trumps everything else in my life. This is what Paul's trying to remind the churches in Galatia, very thing that he's trying to remind them of. Listen to this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 25. It says this, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Everything that God promised his people is promised to you. Everything that God promises his people in the Old Testament is applied to you and I. We are his people. And that's a beautiful thing. Why should the church be important to you in your life? Because you didn't have it one time. It didn't exist. There was no relationship between you and God. But Jesus Christ suffered in order to bring peace. But Paul's not done. Because you see what he's going to say here in this text is this. That not only do those two things, are those two things important in your life. But listen to look at verse 18 with me. It says, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. There's that same language again at the very beginning of verse 11 and 12. But you are fellow citizens. You see how he's changed your position. He's changed your identity. You are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the, here it is, household of God. Check this out. Check this metaphor out. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also were being built together into what? A dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Here's the third reason why, this, why the church is important to you because you are part of something new. Part of something new. The household of God. God's doing something supernatural in your life. He's doing something supernatural in us collectively. He's done so individually. He saved us by the blood of Jesus Christ, but then he puts us into community with one another and his identity is found in us. We now carry the name of Jesus Christ with us. He creates us, this union 
That's where life change happens. He does this work in us, and there are these two benefits that he points out. One is access. You now have access to God versus before you had no access. You were cut off. You were alienated. You, you going through cancer, oh, well. You, you, you're going through what you're going through, oh, well. Maybe you might get a little bit of, uh, of, of coping through other people and friends in your life, but there's no supernatural spiritual thing going on in your life. God is the one who knows and sees and understands all things. You now have access to him. You see, in the Jewish system, the priest went in once a year on behalf of the people. But you and I boldly go to the throne of God, boldly go to, the, to, to Jesus Christ and to the Lord himself, we boldly enter into his presence, not because I've earned it, not because I've deserved it, not because I've done something to somehow gain favor in the eyes of God. Oh, but because Jesus steps in front of me and he leads me to the Father. And that is where power is. That is where his presence is. It transforms me. He answers my prayers. He moves towards me because I move towards him. Why is things like on a Wednesday night important? What we did this past Wednesday night important? Why is right before we preach and we pray important? Why is it that we come together and be a part of each other in the local church important? Because we are pursuing something that did not exist before, but that Jesus Christ suffered for it. And therefore, you and I have access to him. He's done something new among us. It is the household of God. That's the local church. God's doing this work in us. He's doing this work through us. He gives us access, and he's creating this household of God. What does he mean by the household of God? Well, what he's doing is he's bringing unity, not uniformity. Oh, we all have personal preferences, don't we? We all wish certain things happened on a Sunday morning or on a Monday in my church. We all have different personal preferences, and they're all shaped by how I was raised or by what I think is important versus what someone else thinks is important, right? I always have these things, and I'm always going to carry these things with me. But what unites us towards each other, what, what, what creates and pushes us away from being cliques and being separated and yet sitting in the same room smiling at each other going, how are you today when we don't like each other? Is the Spirit of God that unites us the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings us together? And that's why the local church is the best thing going this world's ever seen. It's better than anything in this community. It's better than anything in Polk County, anything in Livingston, Texas, anything in the United States, anything in the world. It's the best thing going. Because the Spirit of God does this work among us that I don't understand and, and imagine. I can't understand it, can you? I can't explain it, can you? But the Spirit of God does this work among us and creates this household of God. He creates this unity, this equality. And notice the metaphor there. There is the foundation of Christ. Or there is the foundation of the prophets who preached towards Jesus Christ, rather, the cornerstone who is Jesus Christ himself. And it is out of that cornerstone that there is this growing and changing congregation of people of God that are changing and transforming, but accomplishing the same things that Jesus Christ wants to accomplish. I think about our church a hundred years ago. They were doing church completely different than what we're doing church now. They can't even imagine sitting in pews like this. They can't even imagine having a building like this or lights like this. They can't even imagine having a parking lot to, to park in like we're, we're doing now. But you know what they did? They followed the same Jesus Christ. They pursued the same things that we're trying to pursue here in this generation. And it's amazing. 
You see, it was built on the foundation. It was built on the cornerstone. But watch what Jesus Christ is doing. What God does is he takes us there in verse 21. The whole structure being joined together. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ and you put yourself in a local church, then you're becoming part of that building, that household of God that's being built up. And every one of us has this function, this function that is placed upon us collectively. It becomes the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. We all carry around the Spirit of God when we give our lives to Jesus. But when you get a bunch of people together who really love each other and are committed to the same mission together, who all have the Spirit of God inside of us, and we're all praying towards the same God, towards the same things, toward the same God, well, then you understand Acts chapter 1 and 2. When 120 people are held up in the upper room and they're praying, God, what next? God, what next? And the Spirit of God comes and the church is birthed. And the rest is history. And it leads to Livingston, Texas. And a little church is planted and starts. And generation after generation after generation leads us to where we are now. It's the same gospel. It's the same spirit. It's the same God. You see, why is the church important to you in your life? Because you didn't have it once. Jesus Christ suffered for it. And therefore, he's doing this work in us. He's doing something new. He's created this household of God that you and I are to invest our lives within. I think about the church. I think about what God's called us to. We're called to love each other. I love these passages. There are many one another passages in the New Testament, but listen to these two verses out of 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. It says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Look at this in chapter 4, verse 8. I love this. Anyone who does not have love does not know God, because God is love. Listen to this. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. And watch this. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus Christ does this work. Beloved, if God, he says, so loved us, we ought to love each other. God does this work in us, and then he enables us to do this work through us, towards each other, and towards the world, but it begins right here. And so I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Because God wants to remind us this morning, he wants us to be filled with this understanding and this truth that this is where God, this is where God works. This is where life change happens. The church is worth investing in. The church is worth being a part of. The church is where life change happens. It transforms my life. It transforms the lives of others who are outside of us. You know, as we have a time of response this morning, I don't know what the response is God wants for you in your life, but listen, maybe it's just to come forward and say, you know what, I'm going to be a part. I'm going to commit myself to being what God wants me to be. Commit myself to love the church God's given me, to be a part of. Maybe it's to lay down my frustrations and my personal preferences and to say, God, you're doing something new. You're doing something among us. You're doing something ahead of us. I want to be a part of that. Maybe just right there where you're seated when we stand and sing. Would you just maybe talk to the Lord about that? Would you give that over to him? Maybe God's speaking to you about becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. Or maybe to be baptized. Or maybe to join our church. 
And as we stand and sing, listen, I want to encourage you, I want to invite you to come forward and just come down here. There are people that are willing to pray with you, talk to you about those decisions. You can come talk to me. But God wants us to respond to his word. So let's pray. And then we'll stand and sing the song together. God, thank you for the way in which you have birthed your church and you've put it in our lives and you've made it central to who we are. God, we want to live our lives in light of what you've done, just as Paul reminded the Ephesians to do, <clears throat> to understand better, God, this church that you've put our lives into. Help us, God, to live the life you've called us to live. Help us, Lord, to invest in the life you've called us to live, both here corporately and in our community. So, God, we love you for the church. We love you for what you've done. We thank you, God, for sending your son. We thank you, Jesus, for what you did. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for where you are this morning, and that's here working among us. So, God, we give to you our decisions. We respond to you the way you want us to respond. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's sing. Give the courage to come. something beautiful something beautiful something good oh my confusion he Some.